Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. or religious belief for all mankind. Amen. Everyone has a belief system of some sort. Our personal understanding of God becomes our personal theology. And I was sharing with Brother Rayleigh just a few moments before service that when you say everybody believes in something, you need to understand how accurate that is. We believe in God. Amen. And so because of that fundamental belief, our lives are, are based on that, built on that. All the tentacles of our life are rooted in that one fundamental understanding that there is a God. Amen? And so our lives are built from that point forward. And when we need somewhere to turn, when we need something to trust in, that's where we turn and that's where we trust. So our personal understanding of God becomes our personal theology. Therefore, it is vitally important that we have an accurate theological understanding of God. If our belief system is not right at the beginning, there is no way it can be right in the end. You can't start out wrong and wind up right without somewhere altering our course. And so we have to have an accurate understanding of God that's essential to living a successful Christian life. And so our personal understanding of God reveals many things not only to us, but it reveals many things about us. For one, it reveals who we are in Christ. And secondly, not to say there's only two, but secondly, it reveals what we have received through Christ, what we have been given by the Lord. And so when I think, uh, there's an old song that says, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he has done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah. Amen. I'm so thankful for the wonderful things that come my way as a benefit of knowing the Lord. And that knowledge, that knowledge of understanding who we are in Christ, Paul spoke uh, expressly about that to the Ephesian church, who we are in Christ. Amen. When we understand who we are and then when we understand what has been given to us by him and through him, that balances our walk with him. In the absence of this knowledge, in the absence of who we are, in Christ and in the absence of what we have by Christ then we will never live like who we are or we'll never use what we have been given to its fullest until we understand we have to understand what we have and, and who we are our, our our car my wife's car has a, a little green button on the dash and it's a, an economy mode and um, you can switch it off or on uh, it's, it's obviously it affects many things about the car, the, the way the air conditioner runs and different things. And it's all in an effort to gain more miles per gallon. 
and it certainly is, uh, it is, it is certainly a functioning uh, attribute of that particular vehicle. The most noticeable thing, um, to me at least, the most noticeable thing is the amount of horsepower that the car loses and or gains with a button on or off. And uh, in the economy mode, there is a very significant uh, difference in power. When it's in the economy mode, you can, when you uh, maybe slow down, if you've had it on cruise control, when you resume your cruise control, it's a very gradual process of getting you back up to the right speed. If it's not in the economy mode, it just takes you from where you were to where you want to be. <laughs> we, uh, we drive a, a vast majority of the time with it in, e in economy mode for obvious reasons. But there are times when you're trying to pass someone or when you're in a mountainous region and um, you just, because we drive with it on economy so much, I kind of forget that it is on economy. When I notice in those situations that the car is a little bit sluggish, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm trying to pass somebody and I need to get on around this person. I'd reach down and push that green button and turn it off and you can feel an instant surge of energy and power. And I'm not just trying to tell you about our car and its features, but in the absence of the knowledge of that additional power, you could just ride along in a sluggish mode when you really need some power for the moment. Amen. We can grow content with what we have if we don't realize what I could have. Amen. And that's where I'm trying to go with that. We can just get content with where we are if we never come to the knowledge of what, where we can be and what we can have in Him. And so if I understand what the Lord has done for us through the work of the cross, it helps me realize what I can have, that all things are possible. Amen. Through Christ we can do all things because that's where our strength comes from. And so uh, what I could have, what you could have, not what we have, but what we could have, that's what we should be reaching for. Amen. We need to live every day of our lives from that perspective that this is just where I am, but I don't have to remain right here. There is more that I can have. And, and, it, and it means often, or it certainly could mean the difference between victory and defeat. And so in our text this evening from the book of Colossians chapter 1, I want to just look at verses 12, 13, and 14. And, and uh, they, they won't be on the screen. I'm just going to read a little bit from each one and just take something hopefully we can take home this evening. Brother Rayleigh uh, said something Sunday uh, that I would like to go back to and underline. There are times that we just simply need to sit down and hear the Word of God taught. We need to read it for ourselves, but we just need to allow the truths of God's Word to be ingrained in us. I love worship and praise, and and uh, I don't want to be never, ever found guilty of being unresponsive in worship and praise or in prayer and things of that nature but there are just times that we just need to sit down and study the word of God and so that's what we're doing I believe in part that's what Wednesday is all about I'm thankful for his presence and we want the spirit of the Lord to move but there needs to be an intentional time where we just sit down and learn how to be what God says we can be amen it's his word his word, as Brother Rayleigh said again Sunday morning, and I want to underline that again tonight, His word is what's going to keep us. And we say that with great deference, with, 
with great deference to every ministry within the church. Every ministry within the church is important, but his word is what's going to keep us. And so from these few verses tonight, I want us to make a short journey. These three verses, I believe, reveal some specific areas which which the work of the cross did something significant for all of us. Verse 12 tells us, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Another version of that of that verse is this, that the Lord, this experience has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Amen. Share in the inheritance with the saints in light. And so we have been made legitimate heirs of the kingdom. Only heirs can receive an inheritance. Amen. And we have to have our name on that list, not because somebody whimsically wrote it down, but we have to be legal, legitimate heirs. Many years ago, my grandparents on my dad's, my dad's mom and dad, in their, um, in their waning years of life, uh, they sold the house that they had lived in all of our growing up years. And my aunt, my dad's only sister and her husband, owned a piece of property and their house faced one block and there was a really small, I can't exaggerate and tell you how small this little house was in, that it, it was adjacent to their backyard but faced the other, the other street. Uh, the family, they, they sold their home, they purchased that little home and it was certainly sufficient for their needs in that time, specific time of their life. It was in the backyard of their, their only daughter who was their caretaker and so it was the best of all worlds for everybody involved. In time, my grandparents passed away and, and uh, the family kept that little house for several years and rented it out. And then several years, even after my father had passed away, they decided to sell the little house. Now, the little house wasn't worth very much in the little area where they had formerly lived. My aunt and uncle by this time had moved out. The, the neighborhood had kind of deteriorated a little bit, and so it wasn't worth very much money. But they sold the little house, and uh, my aunt and, uh, and uncle, she called me one day, and she said, I just need to get your uh, address, and she needed some legal information from us. And so um, I was kind of curious. I mean, we have a great relationship, but I didn't know why all of a sudden she needed all this information. And she said, we've sold uh, your grandma and grandpa's uh, little house, and uh, you and your brothers are rightful heirs of your father's part and uh, I said well you know that's not necessary we didn't even know it was coming that's not necessary why don't you just let that go you you just split that among all of you and uh, and she said no that's not how this works you are rightful heirs and so it was just a very little small house didn't sell for just a few million dollars and uh, I know what you're thinking. We want to hear a figure. We want to hear a figure. And so that little <laughs> humble amount of money was divided by, by five original heirs. And then my father had passed away. And so there were four rightful heirs of my father. And so it was divided by five. And then that one share was divided by four. And it was just a few hundred dollars at the end of the day. And I don't want to sound cavalier about that. It wasn't the money at all. But what really moved me was somebody said, 
you're a rightful heir. And by the time all the bills are paid and everything's settled, if it's only $25, the most important thing is that you're a rightful heir. And so we can't make this decision in a vacuum and we can't just cut you out of this because that was what we wanted to do. Because you're a rightful heir. This is money that's coming to you. And several months went by and sure enough one day we got a check. And so my wife and I were very intentional in that few hundred dollars that we received. And we bought something that we would always remember my father by. Because we wanted that to be something we would never forget. I don't think we would have forgotten it anyway. We wanted that to be something we would never forget. I'm telling you tonight, we're rightful heirs to some things. <laughs> Amen. I would like for you somehow to leave this service and just be reminded. I want you to get that phone call that I got that afternoon that said, I need your name and address and I need a few legal, some illegal information because there's going to be a deposit made in your life. And so I want us to understand that we have something because we are rightful heirs when I think of the goodness of Jesus. We can say, well, we're not worthy of that and we don't deserve that. And we can say that ought to go somewhere else. But that's not what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about something that was purchased through the blood in our name and we're rightful heirs. Praise God. In verse 13, another benefit that comes as a, a part of the of Calvary's cross, he says, we have been delivered from the power of darkness. Amen. In other words, we have been delivered from the power of evil. And this is a very powerful promise. I cling, personally, I cling very, very close to the prayer of Jabez. The, the, the prayer of Jabez. This prayer is found in one verse in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 10. There are four major parts of this prayer. I see some of you writing, and I'll say that again, 1 Chronicles 4 and 10. It's a powerful, powerful prayer, and I cling closely to it. Jabez prayed for four things in this one verse. He prayed that thou wouldest bless me, that you would enlarge my coast, that you would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil. So first, Jabez asked the Lord to bless him. That seems pretty self-explanatory. Just bless us, Lord. And there's nothing selfish about that. There's nothing evil about that. There's nothing wrong about that. To just say, Lord, would you bless me? I know we spend a lot of time blessed, praying for the Lord to bless others. But Jabez opens the door and lets us know that it's all right to ask the Lord to bless us. Secondly, he asks God to enlarge his coast or enlarge his territory. Or it was another way, uh, perhaps saying that, to say, Lord, I want you to increase my influence. But I will tell you this, that when you pray for God to increase your influence, you are also praying and asking God to, in, to, to increase your responsibility, because to whom much is given, much is required. Thirdly, he prays that God would be with him. And I think that, again, is somewhat self-explanatory. Be close to me, God. Be with me. Not just around me, but be near unto me. Lastly, Jabez asked that the Lord would keep him from evil. Or a more literal translation of that is to keep me from the evil one. Amen. The evil one is Satan. Keep us from evil. 
not just keep us from lying or just keep us from evil deeds, but keep us from Satan. The last portion of the Lord's Prayer says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, amen, a more literal interpretation of that is deliver us from the evil one. There is an evil influence in this world. Not just a bad influence. Not just a negative influence. Amen. There is an evil influence. A demonic influence in this world. And so he says deliver us from the evil one. In, the, in, the, in Psalms 119 and 133, David prays and says, Lord, order my steps in your word. And then the end of that verse says, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. An, another word for iniquity there is also evil, our evil one. And so David is praying, Lord, order my steps in your word and let not the evil one have any dominion over me. <laughs> Amen. I'm thankful for the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful for the power of light in this dark, dark world. I'm thankful for the power of light. Amen. This is very significant in our walk with God because Paul is reminding us that God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Where darkness once <laughs> where darkness once controlled our lives. The light of the glorious gospel. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. That light shines and never, never doubt it. There is, there is a dominion of darkness. We should never, never doubt that. When we look at the evil that runs rampant in our world, we need to understand, we need to understand it for what it is. We hear about these people that got killed or these people that were robbed. We don't just need to chalk that up as, I'm not sure how to really decipher all this, but we shouldn't just chalk that up to somebody that lost their life or someone that was murdered or someone that was robbed or, or someone that was pilfered. Or We need to understand that is the end result of pure evil. Evil. Amen. There is a real kingdom of darkness, and it is a kingdom that knows no geographic boundaries and it is a kingdom that knows no cultural boundary. We have all been affected by the kingdom of darkness. We have all, all of our lives are affected by this kingdom of evil. In fact, the Bible teaches us that we come into the world with an allegiance to that kingdom. Amen. I know that kind of flies in our face a little bit, but that's, that's scriptural. Amen. We were born in sin. David said he was born in sin and in, in iniquity did my mother conceive me. Amen. That's, this was because of the Adamic fall in the book of Genesis and because of someone partaking of something that they shouldn't. It was no simple uh-oh. But it released the dominion of darkness. Amen. We were born in sin. Some people really want to deny that they are in bondage to that world or ever was in bondage to that world. Amen. So I, I will just give us a little test here. To the extent of which we're bound by this kingdom is only revealed when you try to escape that kingdom. Someone says, well, I'm not bound. Well, then just start trying to get closer to the Lord and see if there's not a war 
that begins. Amen. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to fast more. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do whatever the attempts are to get closer to the Lord. I'm not saying that we should, I'm not saying you should not try to do that to prevent war because the devil doesn't play like that. He doesn't play fair. Amen. But there is a battle that ensues. But in Jesus Christ, we are delivered and can be delivered from the bondage of sin. We can be set free from the dominion of darkness. Amen. The key of this passage is that we have been delivered from the power of sin. Or in other words, sin no longer controls us. Let me put it another way. We now have the ability to say no to sin and yes to God. And that's an extremely powerful truth to understand. Now this doesn't mean that we are set free from the temptation of sin. By no means, because all of us are tempted. I've said many times the things that tempt an 18-year-old would probably be different than things that would tempt somebody that's 80, but there is still temptations all in life. Amen. All of us are tempted, but the power of the Spirit of God living inside gives us the ability to rise above that temptation and say no to sin. I don't want to bait you tonight, but I will would tell you that there is not anyone in this house that hasn't been tempted to sin recently. As long as we think all these temptations were five years ago, we're completely comfortable. But if we just knew the battles that people face today not to sin, we might not feel so comfortable. You ladies might pull your purse a little closer to you. You men might put your hand on your wallet. <laughs> not trying to rain on your day but we have the ability to say no to sin it no longer has control let me ask you something you don't have to get up and run around the building you don't have to raise your hand but anybody here remember what it was like to be controlled by sin you didn't make your own decisions those decisions somebody else was signing those checks for you and when you said, I will not, you still did. And when you said, never again, you went back. And when you said, I'm done, you found up that you wasn't done. And we went back again and again and again. We were controlled by sin. Let's don't be so sanctimonious that we don't think that those are not real issues of our life and real issues of our day. Amen. But I'm thankful that sin no longer has control. There's still a temptation, but I've been set free. I have the power to say no. Amen. We've had to stop and say, God, I need you to help me. I need you to touch my mind. I need you to touch my heart. I need you to strengthen me. I need you to turn on the light in this dark place. Praise God. So when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah. Amen. And so in this passage, we see that he has given us an eternal inheritance. We are rightful heirs to some things. And he has delivered us from the power of evil. In the latter portion, in the latter portion of verse number 13, the Bible says he has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Or we are now citizens of the kingdom of God. We don't think much about citizenship if you never leave your home country. You don't have to really worry a lot about citizenship if you are an American citizen and you just live your life in America. You don't have to think a whole lot about that. But to those of you who have traveled outside of the boundary of our nation, you understand how seriously that citizenship is taken. 
You don't just leave this country and go into another country and do whatever you want to do without accountability. Furthermore, you don't come back from those countries back to this country and just think you're going to do whatever you want to do. You're going to have to, there's, there's a few things you're going to walk through. There's a few things that you're going to be subjected to. We don't think a lot about citizenship if we never cross the border. Amen. But we are citizens of the kingdom of God, and our citizenship has been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light or the kingdom of Christ. And that is an important truth because God brought us out in order to bring us in. I know that just sounds very, very, very elementary, but we need to understand something, that God never does half the job. When the children of Israel were brought out of Egyptian bondage, amen, it was the desire of God not to just bring them out of Egypt and get them good and, a good safe distance away and say good luck. He brought them out of Egypt because there was a destination of Canaan, amen, the land of promise. He did not deliver them from Egypt so that they could wander around in the desert even though that's what they wound up doing because of their own, uh, of their own inability to obey the Lord. That wasn't God's will. God's purpose was to bring them to a land that was flowing with milk and honey or the promised land. Now these two things go hand in hand and they must go hand in hand. Now I want you to get your mind off the children of Israel now and I want you to think about you and your family and your calling and what God would have you to do. These things to go hand in hand because God never leads us out without having a plan to lead us in. And there is a great danger of only being brought out and never led in. Amen. There is no more miserable person in the world than those who have freely accepted deliverance from sin but then refuse to be led to a place where God wants them. He doesn't just lead us out. He leads us out to lead us in. Amen. God doesn't just simply deliver us from sin, but God desires to bring us out of sin and into a place of purpose in His kingdom. God has a work for each and every one of us to do. Amen. I know as long as we're talking about the children of Israel and Egypt and Canaan, that is so far removed. We can sit here and we can enjoy the air-conditioned building and the comfort of just being able to rest for a few moments. But I'm asking you to consider this principle in light of your own life. These things go hand in hand. He doesn't just bring us out to leave us out dangling in some murky middle but God is bringing us out to take us in to something. Amen. And so the great danger is just getting the Holy Ghost and just saying, well, I'm just going to coast from here on out. Amen. God has a calling upon each and every life. I'm not calling anybody to a pastoral ministry. I'm not calling anybody to any ministry. But I'm just telling you that God has a divine kingdom purpose for all of us and so I don't want to just be led out and be somewhere in the wilderness but I must find the destination that God is wanting to complete in me. The work of the Lord the, the work that the Lord did for us on Calvary could be summed up in two words that are found in verse number 14. The Bible says in whom we have redemption through his blood even forgiveness of sins. And so those two words, redemption and forgiveness. The word redeem 
means to buy back. I've always um, enjoyed, uh, uh, always enjoyed just kind of plundering around in in pawn shops. And uh, uh, that wasn't a difficult confession. I just got choked up on my words there. <laughs> Almost made it sound dirty, didn't I? A pawn shop has all all sorts of interesting things, and and uh, even sometimes when my wife and I are out of town, I may just run down and certainly if I see one close by where we're staying, and just walk around um, because there's it's just filled with interesting things. In some cases, the items that are on those shelves have been sold to the pawnbroker, just an out and out sale. But in most cases. People, the items that are on those shelves are the end result of somebody that walked into that pawn shop to borrow money from the pawnbroker. And they merely used those items, a saw, uh, whatever, a hammer, a a set of tools, whatever it may be, as collateral. The intention is we're going to come back by a certain date and we are going to redeem We're going to redeem these items by paying the pawnbroker what we borrowed plus the agreed amount of interest or whatever that went in addition to that. And so they're actually buying back items that they already own. Amen. I I know most of you know how this all works. I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but they already have one receipt for this saw or they already have one receipt for... Uh, for this item, and now they're buying it back, something that they already own. But if they do not redeem those items according to the contract, then that item becomes the property of the pawnbroker. In other words, all of those items that are on the shelf, I want you to just think about this spiritually. The next time you're in a, Daryl, I know you go to pawn shops sometimes, don't you? Think about this. I don't start speaking in tongues or anything. They'll lead you out, handcuff you, but... Just think about this when you're there, that the items that weren't just sold outright or just purchased outright by the pawnbroker, all the items that are on that shelf, by and large, went beyond the time of redemption. That's why they're there. They went beyond the place that it could be redeemed. Now think about beyond redemption. It would be a frightening thing to be beyond redemption. Several in this service tonight, and several that may hear this message at some point down the road, have had people point their fingers at you and say you are beyond redemption. Whether you heard it with your ears, whether you are even privy to the conversation, some thought you are beyond the ability to redeem And I think about God and His ability to never give up and His ability to love me when I was unlovable and to reach for me when I wouldn't reach back and to care for me when I didn't care for Him. I just want to say it again tonight. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all He has done for me, my soul cries out, Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
He redeemed us when we were at our worst. He redeemed us by paying a penalty for our sins, not his, but for our sins on the cross. He purchased our redemption by giving his life for a sacrifice. And so because of Calvary's redemptive work, we can now receive forgiveness of our sins. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean that God ignores our sins. Forgiveness does not even mean that God overlooks all we have done. But forgiveness is predicated all upon redemption. Without redemption, there can be no forgiveness. God is not overlooking our sin. God is not blind to our sin. But he forgives us of our sins. Amen. Hallelujah. When someone goes down in a watery pool of baptism in the name of Jesus, they're not just getting wet for the cause of church. Amen. They're not just getting wet for the for the cause of some religious right, but their sins are being remitted by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That water and that baptismal is the same water that's watering the yard. It's the same water that's flushing the toilets. It's the same water that we wash our hands with. The same water in the water fountain. It's not the water. It's the blood. It's the blood. It's the blood that is applied. Amen. And so it is Calvary's cross connecting Connecting to common man. Praise God. The central, central principle perhaps of this passage is that we live for him by allowing him to live in us and through us. And as we live by faith, we find that new kingdom principles are in operation now in our lives. We find that we are now given a foretaste, a foretaste of what is to come. We have been delivered from the penalty of sin and been delivered from the power of sin and been, del- and been delivered even from the presence of sin. It's just a foretaste. It's just a, a, a down payment, if you please, on what is to come. We experience this as our lives are being, as our lives are being conformed to the image of God. Of course, we still live in a world of sin. Amen. Some of you probably need, felt like you needed to wash your mind and not just your body at the end of today. Maybe you just needed, felt like you needed to wash your spirit after all you were exposed to in your workplace and various places that we have because we live in a world of sin. And as long as we live in this body and as long as we live in this world, we're just going to have to learn how to deal with sin. But one day... Jesus is coming again. Hear me, church. Jesus is coming again. And when that happens, we're going to receive a glorified body. Amen. We're going to be transformed into the very presence of God, which means that we will be delivered from the very presence of sin. Then we will experience the presence of God in its fullness. Amen. An old hymn simply says, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, just a taste. It's not uncommon in grocery stores and things of that nature for you to go in and many times there's an official place set up for someone there to be cooking and and you just walk by and just get a taste because they want you to go beyond just seeing the cardboard package or go beyond seeing the frozen box. Let me let you taste what this can be. Those, that aroma fills the air. It's hard not to participate, isn't it? Hard not to round the aisles if it's really good. 
What God has given us here and now is a wonderful thing. His Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance. What we have felt here tonight is just a taste of what is to come. In fact, amen, it's just a taste of what that world is going to be all about. And so the more we yield to His control, the more we succeed in following Him. So we have been qualified for this eternal inheritance. We have been delivered from the power of evil. And we have been transferred into the kingdom of Christ. And we have been delivered from the penalty of sin. Amen. And now, finally, when we are resurrected out of here, or raptured out of here, we will be delivered from the very presence and the power of sin. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will. Now, I'm going way back with an illustration. I'm, I'm probably going further back than some can uh, remember. I'm sure I'm going further back than some can remember, but even if you can't remember this, I want you to listen to the narrative. When I was a, a little boy, my mother used to buy groceries at Publix. Right next door to Publix in this uh, little strip mall or in the shopping center was a little small store, very as, as I remember, at least in, my, in a child's memory, a very narrow and, and rather narrow, but just as deep, I guess, as the store next door. And that store was called S&H Green Stamps. Well, I, I didn't go back too far. I just, or either I got an old crowd on my hand, maybe. I didn't realize this until this afternoon that S&H Green Stamp stores didn't close until the mid to late 80s. I didn't realize they went that far. But when you, when you, for those of you who weren't around, you poor pitiful people that weren't around, when you, when you checked out, in this case, the grocery store, and I think they were associated with other stores, not just groceries, but in this case, when you checked out, and you paid for your groceries, when the cashier hit the final total button, there was a little small machine that just automatically spit out S&H green stamps. And they were stamps. They were literal stamps that went inside of a book, and you just begin to populate the pages of this book. And, uh, and so my mother would save these stamps, and then the number of stamps you got was in relation to how much money you spent. And there's many other things similar to that today, a little more electronic Walgreens and other things of that, uh, of that nature. We participate in a lot of those redemptive things. And so she would, when she got enough of these books filled up with stamps, then you could go to the little S&H green store stamp book store, and there were various items that you could purchase. Maybe some of them little small hand appliances and things of that nature. And so the transaction has two parts. You purchase the right of redemption. That's the stamp. That's your right of redemption. And then you, you have to, if you're going to participate in the program at some point, you can't just wish things into your hand you got to go claim your merchandise and 
I can remember some of those days of claiming the merchandise. I'm sure my mother had her eye on something for a while and finally enough stamps and enough books are filled and you go and you buy what you want. You buy the right of redemption when you made the original purchase and the store just gave you a stamp as a token of money already spent. When you go to the redemption center and, it, and you claim what you want, it seems free. Because we didn't exchange U.S. currency for anything. It seems free. But in reality, it's not free because you've already paid the price when you made the original purchase. The other day, I was checking out of Walgreens, and, and um, the lady that was signing out, she said, Sir, you have, and she named how many thousand points that we had. And she said, would you like to redeem some of those points on your purchase today? And I said, well, sure. And she said, you know, I just get jealous when I see people that have as many points as you have. And she was smiling, and, and I said, ma'am, you need to understand something. To get a lot, you got to spend a lot. I know she gets that principle, but before you think that I'm just going to go whimsically walking out of here with something that I only paid 40 cents for, you got to get something. I spent a lot of money <laughs> for this $20. Amen. So in the same way, when we come to an altar of repentance, there is an end to this sermon, I'll promise you. When we come to an altar of repentance and we lift our hands and, and we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, there's something about that that just seems free. But what we should understand is it's not really free. It was just pre-purchased. <laughs> when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all He has done for me, my soul <laughs> cries out, Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord, for what we have felt here in this service tonight. I thank you for the power of your presence that is real and it is palatable here tonight. It seems as though that we just walked in here at 7.30 and started singing and playing and praying and worshiping and the presence of God just began to move free. But can I tell you that it wasn't free at all. This is the redemption of the power of God at work in our lives. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the power of the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus Christ. He has given us a token of redemption and that is His Holy Spirit. Oh, God, lest we ever take it for granted, lest we ever take it for granted, we should walk in the newness of his love and his life. What a marvelous thing. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. 
For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.